us sensitive uh, to Brian's message. Help us to take that truth and live it out. Help us to love one another and help us to experience the hope um, that comes from the message of, of your saving grace. Jesus, we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. All right, I think Joel deserves a little clap, round of applause after reading that. Thank you, Joel. I did text it to him, I think, on Thursday or Friday, so I gave him a little heads up. I was, that, I was a little bit nice. Um, I'm excited about the Christmas season, and I hope that um, in the next week and a half when we begin to wrap up the school year or the school season and, and work begins to slow down a little bit around Christmas that we can really enjoy um, this season. And so we'll spend just the next couple of weeks looking at the Christmas story and helping all of us to slow down a little bit and enjoy this season with our families, with our friends. One of the most important things that we can do to start off this Christmas season is to look at the back story of the Christmas story. And I know that, um, well, I can back up and say this, I've never taught on a genealogy before, and we probably haven't heard too many sermons on them before either. But there is honestly, there is so much here, and so many significant things that are meaningful to us. But before we begin... Well, let's just try to be honest and upfront that this is a little bit of an uphill climb studying and looking at a genealogy, all right? So I'll prove my point. I might be wrong, but we'll see. Raise your hand if you can name first and last name of all of your grandparents. First and last name. Can you name first and That's it. Okay, higher. Otherwise, I'm going to shame you. Okay, so m- most of us can name the first and last name of your grandparents, all right? We will call you guys the junior varsity team. All right, varsity players, four out of eight of great-grandparents. Can you name first and last name of one, two, three, four, five, six? Okay, that totally proves my point. We, sorry to, okay, I was like, the more I thought about this, am I on a little, can you hear me okay? It feels like, okay. Man, this is like a mix of news here. If you haven't started a family yet, most of you soon will. It's only two generations until you're completely forgotten. Like, no one is going to know anything about, in two generations, And I will say to you a little bit more of a warning about our culture today, about the preoccupation of just the here and now, the self-centeredness of it. And I can remember, I have have very clear memories of being a teenage boy and um, having, we had a next-door neighbor, and she was a single elderly woman. She was a, a widow. And she would regularly call me. Her name was Mrs. Plouffe. And she would call me and say, Brian, I need some milk. 
And I'd be like, Mom, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. Brian, and this is a little bit sad, but I mean, she would fall. And she would call me from the floor and say, can you come help me get up? Can you help me with my dog? Um, And I think it's, I know this is not true in every culture. Other cultures deeply value the past and the elderly and where you came from. Like your family tree really matters. For whatever reason, where we are at right now in our American culture, it is not that valuable. Until, I think, until you start getting a little bit older. My grandmother passed away a few months ago. I had a great aunt pass away a few weeks ago, or I guess a couple months ago now. And I can tell you that um, those last remaining days and weeks we had together, they were so valuable in learning about my family. And I encourage you, this is just the footnote of the sermon, during this Christmas season, get to know your family, especially your grandparents, or if you have living great-grandparents. Sit down and ask them questions. Get to know them. You might be completely amazed about your family. Sometimes we, um, we avoid this because of things that we might find in our family. There might be things in our families that are a little bit embarrassing. There might be people in our family that are, are a little bit embarrassing or we don't want to associate with. It can sometimes be discouraging a little bit. We have issues in our families of addiction. We have mental health issues. We have broken marriages. We have role reversals where parents are obeying their children instead of parents raising their children to obey the parents. And one of the things that we'll notice when we look into the family tree of Jesus is that it is just as messed up or way more messed up than most of our families. And one of the things that we will learn, here's the main thing really that I want us to learn, is that the backstory of Christmas teaches us that God is faithful to his promises. The backstory, and when we look at this genealogy for a few minutes, the backstory of it before his birth, it will show you. And this is what you can build your life on today, that God is faithful to his promises. You can build your life upon that. It is not dependent upon you. It is dependent upon God, and he is faithful. And so this morning, we will see three things about the backside of the Christmas story. We will see that his faithfulness points to the coming king for all people. We will see that his faithfulness points to the coming king. We'll see that the backstory of Christmas teaches us that God is faithful because of his grace. And last, we'll see that the backstory of Christmas announces the birth of the one who will save people from their sins. And I'll repeat those again when we get into it. So we'll begin with this. Remember this. The Bible, let me just stop on that for one second. The Bible says that over and over and over again. Remember, remember, remember. Because we forget. We forget God's faithfulness. And that is one of the best things, honestly, 
One of the best things about getting older is you can look back. As you've been, as you've been walking with the Lord, you can look back at your life and see the times when he's been faithful and how we desperately need that. We desperately need to be reminded that God is faithful. So Matthew is the author. He starts with the backstory, and he says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus is basically starting, this is the beginning, very identical in the original language to the book of Genesis. This is the beginning of Jesus, of his life. Our English word Jesus is Latin from the Greek Jesus, from the Hellenized Hebrew word Yeshua, which means he will save. The word Christ is his title. It's not his last name. It's not Jesus Christ as Brian Kelly. It's his title. It is the title of the word. Uh, it's the Hebrew word. It comes from the Hebrew word, the Messiah, the anointed one. Matthew starts off, Jesus Christ, the one who saves, anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, to save people from their sins. That's what this book is about. That's who the story is about. And then he identifies these two other key identifications. Number one, he says, the son of David. The son of David. This is Matthew's way of expressing the kingship of Jesus Christ. Back in 2 Samuel, there is a prophecy that says that one day the kingdom of David will be reinstated. During the reign of David, it was the high point in the nation of Israel. There was prosperity, there was peace, there was security. There was a promise that one day this Messiah will come again. The powerful ruler of God's sovereign, these are important things to think through, God's sovereign, eternal dynamic kingdom, his all-powerful, eternal, dynamic kingdom. It was the expression that promised the coming ruler would destroy Israel's enemies and provide once again peace and security for the nation of Israel. That's who this person was, this person named Jesus who would save people from their sins. The new ruler of this eternal kingdom Matthew finishes verse 1 with the phrase, the son of Abraham. That comes from the Abrahamic covenant from early on in Genesis, where the covenant signifies something very important. The covenant signifies that the blessing will be to all people of the world. By going back to Abraham, Matthew is making it very clear that the sovereign ruler of this new kingdom will be the sovereign ruler not just for the nation of Israel, but for all people. Going all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis, there was this prophetic word that there will one day be this coming king, a king for all people. In Matthew chapter 4, the message that we hear over and over again throughout the Gospel of Matthew, is this. Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. That was his ministry, to say that this kingdom is here, that this reign and this rule is here. 
the, the mystery of all this that takes the disciples so long to figure out is that it is not the type of kingdom that the disciples thought it was. If you recall arguments between the disciples about wanting this place of power and position because in their minds they were thinking of an earthly kingdom. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to show you just quickly. Probably the, the most famous and well-known explanation of this kingdom is from Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus says in the Beatitudes, and he explains, blessed are these people that live out this new kingdom. It's a completely different kingdom. It's a world where people... In verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is synonymous with repentance. Jesus says, everyone who wants to be a part of my kingdom will be broken in spirit. They will understand their own sinfulness, their own brokenness. And so Matthew, from the very beginning goes back in history and says this, that God is faithful through this pronouncement, this announcement, that this kingdom is coming through this little baby Jesus, that he is the sovereign ruler, the son of David, the powerful ruler, David, the mighty warrior king for all people. The backstory of Christmas teaches us that God is faithful and that this sovereign king is ruling. The second thing we learn from the genealogy is that the backstory of Christmas teaches us that God is faithful and it's purely because of his grace. Now I know that because there were so many names that were read this morning that most of us probably didn't catch Something unique. And I'm just going to tell you, I was going to ask, but it's just too difficult. All right? So, anyone want to take a stab at it? There's one thing that stuck out. All right, I'm just going to tell you. All right, there's one thing that was very unique. All men, a list of men, except for five women, counting Mary. So, four women. You guys got it? Nice. Four women that were listed. This is very unique. This is not normal Jewish recording of history. It's a patriarchal society. It's all about men. Right? It's all about the men. And that's why it's mostly men. But Matthew throws in some really significant women. Really important women. in a unique way once we find out who they are. All right? So here's how this works. Here's, here's the simple version of this. Matthew, I'll back up and say this to give us a little context. Matthew breaks these up into three chunks. Here's the whole Old Testament. If you want to start with understanding the Old Testament, here are the three chunks. There are three chunks of 14 generations. All right, so from Abraham to David, David until the exile is the second chunk, and then exile until the time of Christ. Three chunks of 14 generations. Not to be taken, pressed hard, literally, because he does omit some kings. Within that, though, are women. 
And we have to draw our attention to these women for just a moment because it points to something very significant. All right, so we will start with Tamar. The story of Tamar is found in Genesis chapter 38. And I'm just going to just tell you about Tamar. <laughs> Judah's, so Judah, one of the key men in the Old Testament, right? Judah's daughter-in-law gave birth to twins after she tricked Judah into thinking she was a temple prostitute. Judah lied to her, to Tamar, about giving her, giving her his youngest son in marriage. And so the get back that she did is she veiled herself and dressed up as if she were a temple prostitute. He obliges and she gives birth to twins. So the first woman is a pretend prostitute who manipulates and controls the situation in order to get her way. The story of God's faithfulness is about God's grace. It is not about our behavior. That is Tamar. And there is a lot more that I've left out, but we'll go on to Rahab. So we've got a pretend prostitute. Now we've got a real prostitute. Rahab, she is the prostitute from Jericho that protected the two spies sent by Joshua. She's listed in Hebrews 11 as a woman of faith. Tamar and Rahab dressed up like a prostitute, and one actually was. This, this is what is so amazing about the grace of God. This is the family tree of Jesus. It's probably unlikely, but we might, you might, have a prostitute in your family tree, but we would not think that the Bible, that the God of the Bible would have in his family tree, the life of Jesus Christ, a prostitute. This is a radical, crazy story about the grace of God. It goes on. Next, the next woman is Ruth, who was a Moabite. I started studying and reading about the Moabites, and it got so bad, so fast, that I'm like, you know what, I think I'll just, if you want to study it, here you go. Genesis 19, Numbers 22, 1 Kings 11. The gentle version of this would be that the Moabites would not help the Israelites when they were wandering around the wilderness. But all kinds of people, excuse me, all kinds of just really, really dark things that the Moabites did. Violent things, sexual things. This is the lineage of Ruth. And the Old Testament said that the Moabites to the 10th generation would not be allowed to congregate with the Jewish people. To the 10th generation. Think about that. We don't even, thinking off the top of my head, we don't even, that's like before the birth of our nation. So if you have like, if you're related to like a, a Puritan or somebody famous like George Washington, you gotta go back further than that. To the 10th generation, the Moabites would not be allowed, so to speak, in our church because they were too evil, too dark. Next, you have Bathsheba, 
She is not mentioned by name. She is mentioned in verse 6 as the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Most scholars think that these women are Gentiles. Bathsheba, she is the woman of questionable moral character. She's a married woman who accepts David's invitation to come over one night and play Scrabble and do board games and do fun things. It just led to something else. The story, the backstory of Christmas is that God is faithful to his promises. And his faithfulness is dependent upon his grace. Matthew specifically puts these women in there to show us the grace of God. I've just kind of picked on the women a little bit, but I can tell you this. Abraham lies to the Egyptian rulers because they're afraid that they might kill him and take his wife. Isaac, his son, Genesis 26, a liar. Jacob, Genesis 27, a liar. All men out to save themselves. They will do whatever it takes to save themselves. I'm number one. I will manipulate the truth. I will manipulate the situation to preserve myself. That's just a few people on this list. If you think about your family tree and you've got your, uh, your Uncle Frank who's an alcoholic and passes out in the corner, that's nothing compared to these people. It's a list full of immoral people, powerful rulers, military leaders, prostitutes, kings, heroes. The family tree of Jesus, the family tree of the one we worship, is a dysfunctional family. That's who he comes from. God's faithfulness. This is so important for us to try to press into our minds and our hearts. God's faithfulness is not promised to you based on your behavior. There's a powerful story in Genesis 15 about Abraham and the covenant that God makes with him. We won't turn there. But they do this covenant ceremony where traditionally both partners would go through this ceremony as an allegiance that they will keep the covenant but in that story, you'll notice that Abraham does not do it. It's only God. This fiery smoking pot. And here's what it teaches us. It's not about qualifications. It's not about qualifications. And it's hard to differentiate this in how we live our lives because every part of our lives is about qualifications today. Are you qualified to get into this college are you qualified for this job? Do you have the right credentials for this? Are you qualified, guys and girls, if you're single? The girls, you're going to think through. If someone asks you to marry, get married, 
you're going to think through the qualifications. Is this guy qualified to marry me? Well, if he's living in his mom's garage with a really cool couch and nice carpet and a really good video game console, he's probably not qualified for most of the single women that I know here. So we are, we are driven to think through qualifications. The gospel of grace is not about qualifications. The faithfulness of God is based on Jesus Christ. Press that into our hearts this morning. The last thing we, no- we notice is about the backstory of the Christmas story is that, as I said in the beginning, it announces the one who will save people from their sins. If you look at the very end, chapter 16, excuse me, verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, is called the Christ. Is called the Christ. This is a story from generations long ago that's rooted in truth, that is rooted in reality. These are real people. It's so important for us to just pause and, and understand for a moment. These, all of these names... These are real people that once lived. It's not a fairy tale. It does not start in a galaxy a long time ago. It doesn't start once upon a time. It starts with real people. We do have a curiosity and a sincere interest in stories, in movies. This will be a popular time, I know, during Christmas break for people to go see movies. And I printed out, just out of curiosity, <clears throat> several movies. These are, this is a list of American superhero films. And I can tell you right now, they make a lot of money. The Avengers from 2012, $1.5 billion. Dark Knight Rises, over a billion, Iron Man 3, over a billion, Man of Steel, the boys want to see it, 660 million. For um, all of you superhero fans, I just found out that uh, according to this news, uh, the webpage, 2015, Ant-Man is coming out. Can't say I know anything about Ant-Man. Marvel Comics, though. Batman versus Superman is coming out. DC Comics. The Amazing Spider-Man 2018 is coming out. I don't know if that's part four or what that is. What this tells us, this tells us something about ourselves. This tells us something significant about ourselves. In our hearts, in all of our hearts, we have a desire for good to overcome evil. There is something within all of us that enjoys the story of the hero overcoming evil with good. There is in our hearts the desire to escape death, for the superhero to rescue people from dying 
in our hearts, there are desires for supernatural powers to fly, to change and do things that are powerful. Probably every guy here has thought or had dreams about having supernatural powers and rescuing the people who are in distress. In our hearts, we have desires for everlasting love. That's why these movies keep drawing people because we connect with it. We connect with these desires to see how evil can be defeated. The reality is this, is that there is one who came to overcome evil. There is a person who came from outer space to defeat evil. His name is Jesus Christ. To establish a new kingdom, a different type of world, a different type of reign that will happen that dispenses supernatural powers where people can overcome evil with good, where broken hearts can be healed. The baby was born in a cold stable so that we could be brought in to a warm place, to a safe place. God sent his son, as Matthew records in verse 16, the one who has come is the one who will rescue people, to redeem people, to lift people up, to heal broken hearts. This morning, I'm not giving you any life advice. I'm telling you the story. I'm telling you the news that God has come, the babe born in a manger with powers to save you. And the only thing we can do with news is respond to it. What is your response to the gospel of grace, to the baby who came? You have to understand the Bible is not primarily a self-help book to help you live a better life. It's announcing news that God has come and stepped into our dwelling place. He became a human being to rescue us, to announce, to proclaim, to proclaim good news. How will you respond to the news? Everything that needs to be done has been done for you. Everything that needs to be done for you has been done for you through Jesus Christ. How will you respond to the announcement? I want to conclude with Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. This is at the end of the life of Jesus when he gathers his disciples. And he says this. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus says to us, remember. As I said in the beginning, we naturally forget. Remember. 
And he says, and he took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body, which is given for you. And likewise, he took the cup, the cup that is poured out for you, this new covenant, the new covenant of grace. Do this in remembrance of me. I just want to invite everybody as I conclude and we worship together to respond to the gospel of grace, the good news that the baby brings. One of the most important truths to build your life on is God's faithfulness to you, to his promises. He promises that regardless of what you're going through today, that he will be faithful to you. No matter how discouraged or frustrated or hurting you are this morning, he promises to be faithful to his promises, to love you and to give you peace. Call upon his name as we worship and as we have communion. Join me with me with prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the backstory of Christmas. That the family tree of your son Jesus is made up of flawed people just like us. And we thank you so much, Father, that your faithfulness to us is anchored in the life of Jesus Christ and not us. We thank you that you gave your son Jesus, that the birth of baby Jesus points forward to the cross who reconciles people back to you. I pray, Father, this morning, if there's anyone here that does not yet know you, that they would respond to the good news of grace, that they are loved and accepted, not because of the things they've done in the past, but because of what you've done on the cross. We ask your blessing upon every family here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.